All right, so we are in which book of the Bible have we been studying? Ephesians. Who is ready to be done with the book of Ephesians? There's a couple of people saying me. And you know what? That's fair. That's a little fair. I'll be honest. It is a little fair. It's hard to stick with something this long. Uh, we don't usually talk this long about a book of the Bible. Because uh, you can sit down and read this sucker in about, I don't know, 30 minutes. And I would encourage you to do so, especially as we come to the end of this series, to go back and read over it again. Uh, the thing about the book of Ephesians is that it is one of those books that is it's really, really quotable. It is full of one-liners and stuff that we like to, as Christians we like to pull out and, and use them in you know, hard times or dark times or to prove points or all kinds of stuff. And we'll pull them out of there. And sometimes we're pulling them out of context. Sometimes we're missing the point of them. And we've really felt that it was important because the book of Ephesians was meant to teach us how to be a community. And I tell you, it has actually created friction among some people, feeling like, well, if that's what community is about, I don't know if that's what I really want. But the Bible has been given to us. It's not written to us, but it is written for us so that we may be formed into the image of Christ and grow up into all things and become more and more like him together in the y'all, right? So that's what the Ephesians is, this book, it was, that's why Paul was writing it. He wanted the, the people in Ephesus over 2,000 years ago, to start getting this down. He's like, you guys have moved from one kingdom into the other, right? Old kingdom into new kingdom. And I need to write this up here again because we're going to add some stuff to it. So we're going to go old kingdom, that's, you know, earth, and then new. Now you're like, we've already seen this, Jamie. We don't need to see this again. It's just really important stuff that you need to kind of remember. And remember all the stuff that's over here, right? Death. Slavery, sorrow, destruction, pain, uh, hurt, woundedness, brokenness, all that stuff lives over here. In God's kingdom, he's bringing things over here. He's just bringing, this is heaven. And he's bringing it all the way over here into earth. It's overlapping and crossing. So we have the old kingdom, new kingdom, earth and heaven. And Paul talks about it this way. He says, on this side is death, but you have been raised to life. He's eternal life. He says, over here is darkness. This is what he said last week. And over here, he's like, you were darkness. I love how he says it. You were darkness. He's like, you weren't in darkness. <laughs> you weren't just lost in a dark room someplace, guys. You were the dark. Okay? <laughs> it's like, how, how do I be dark? I don't know. He's like, you were. He says, but now you're no longer that. You're now light. You're light. And he's going to add some stuff to this. So the whole point of this old kingdom, new kingdom thing what Paul is saying is that God is bringing the new kingdom into this world now, and they exist simultaneously. Have you ever experienced that? It's like good and bad exist side by side, right? Just think about your week this last week. How many of you had something bad happen this last week? Just anything bad. Could have been a bad breakfast. You could have had indigestion for a little while. You could have, somebody could have died. I mean, any number of things. Now, who had something good happen this last week? You had a great meal right? A friend encouraged you. Somebody prayed for you. Bad and good exist simultaneously, side by side, and I've got bad news for you. That's life, right? Maybe it's good news because many of us feel like we're living over here most of the time. So the good news is, is that goodness is coming to us, is invading in. And what all of this is, is goodness and beauty, right? God's kingdom is goodness and beauty, and I'm going to add those words here because this is, idea, this is God's idea of what it means to flourish as a human being. 
It's what it means to be a successful human being. It's not a full bank account. It's not a happy family. It's not a good marriage. These things are all good, right? Happy family, good marriage, great. Full bank account, wonderful. But that is not the kingdom of heaven. It's when we bring goodness and beauty into the world, when humans, y'all, together, live in such a way that we become light, we are living life, eternal life, here and now, and heaven comes to earth because we are producing goodness and beauty through the power of Christ. That's what Ephesians 4 through 6 are all about. It's about how we practically go about bringing goodness and beauty to the world. God's antidote. Now, this is really fun. Last week, Paul did something really crazy. When he started talking about darkness and light, he said, over here in darkness, we have impure thoughts, fornication, and greed, right? He gave, like, these three big words. Everybody's like, judgment words. Christians always like to use fornicator and, like, impure. Let's go picket those people. Let's point our fingers at them. And he's like, you know what? The antidote to that is not stop it. You know, just stop it. Just stop it, Doug. It's not just stop it. The antidote is thankfulness, right? He said last week in Ephesians 5, in the beginning, he says, but in everything, instead, give thanks. So this week, he's saying, okay, we're going to add a new pairing. And the antidote is not going to just be thankfulness. It's going to be worship. Let's read Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to read 15 through 16. And there's there's a pattern. There's a pattern in this thing. Watch for it. See if you see it. Paul is such a good writer. He's always like doing these little patterns. And when you start noticing them, you start going, oh, this is an intricate book, and it's really beautifully done. And I nerd out on it. So I'm sorry if I'm nerding out too much. But here we go. Be careful, then, how you live. Not as unwise people, but as... Okay, so I'm going to do that again. We're going to have a dramatic pause for you to fill in the blank. Okay, <laughs> dramatic pause for you. It's, we're tired a little bit. I'm tired, so we need to stay awake. So I'm going to get a little more audience participation today, especially since I don't have Heidi up here to make it actually funny and interesting. Uh, so you have to rely on me for that. So, so here we go. Start again. Verse 15. Be careful, then, how you live, not as unwise people, but as making the most of time, because the days are. So do not be, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get with wine. Beer apparently is okay. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs amongst yourselves, amongst yourselves, singing and making melody to the Lord in your hearts, giving thanks to God, to God the Father at all times and for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's three big contrasts in this little passage. You have wise and unwise, right? You have foolish people and people that are discerning the will of God. You have drunk people and people who are filled with the Spirit. He's contrasting them. So you would put on the one side over here, you would have unwise, foolish, and drunk, right? And over on this side, you would have wise, discerning the will of God, and filled with the Spirit. You see where I'm getting with this, how this works? These two lists. So let's look at them just a little bit. The first one is wisdom, right? Wise and unwise. For the ancients, this is a really big deal. For Paul, the word wise is triggering all kinds of thoughts. Where do you think Paul would, what, what he would think when he's thinking wise? Anybody guess, going to guess? He's thinking Solomon. He's thinking Ecclesiastes. He's thinking Proverbs. He's thinking the wisdom of the ancients. 
and the wisdom of the ancients had this whole, like a construct for how things worked. And here's how it goes. I'm going to say it real basically. They believed that knowledge, when you uh, gathered it and studied it, would lead to understanding. And then when you lived that knowledge out, your understanding of that knowledge out, it led to wise living. And that was the point. It wasn't just having some list of wise things in your head, like memorizing the Proverbs. Good thing. But that's just gathering knowledge. What the ancients wanted you to do was to read the Proverbs, understand them, and then do something with it. That is wisdom. And so Paul, in this instance, this is the, the, the very thing that he's looking back at. He's saying, no, I want you to have wisdom. I don't want you to be foolish. I want you to be wise. Let me illustrate it another way, okay? Many of us went to school. And when we went to school, we took math classes. How many of you remember math? How many of you forgot everything you learned in math? Me too. Hopefully, I'll get this right. So in math, you have to learn how to measure triangles. And there are some triangles where you get to learn how to measure the distance of the hypotenuse. Great. We all learned the formula for measuring the distance of the hypotenuse of a triangle. It sounds really wonderful, doesn't it? And if you go to the bank and you say, oh, and you start to hypotenuse, and you start talking about it, you sound maybe smart or weird, one of the two. I don't know which. But it doesn't do you much good, right? Most of us, when we take those math classes, geometry classes, and we learn the distance, of, we learn to measure the hypotenuse, we're like, hooray, I got an A on the test. Good enough for me. But here's what I discovered when I began learning tree work. I began to learn that you could discover the height of a tree by figuring out the hypotenuse of a triangle. Because you could stand, and if you made a 45 degree angle with your arm, roughly, you could walk backwards until your arm touched in on your eye would touch the top of the tree at a 45 degree angle, and then you look down from the base of the tree to you is roughly the height of that tree. Interesting, huh? And now you're like, hey, I'm gonna go measure my trees. That's exciting. That's fun. Okay, you got a little bit of understanding of the hypotenuse of the triangle, right? But then here's what I found out after that. It's good to know how high a tree is when you're cutting it down, right? Because you know what else we know about trees? They're heavy and they're destructive when they fall down, right? So if I didn't know the distance from the top of the tree to where I was at, and they were cutting the tree down, and it was falling at me, if I thought, oh, trees are light, trees are soft, trees are made of foam rubber, it doesn't matter how close I am to it, I could stand there, what would happen to me? I would get squished flat, right? But because I understand the hypotenuse of the triangle formula, because I understand trees are heavy, because I understand I could stand at a 45 degree angle, figure out how far that tree is gonna fall, I can do what? Get out of the way. That's wisdom. Okay, you got it? Getting out of the way, in that case, is wisdom. So that's what Paul has got in his mind. He's not thinking trees, but he's thinking wisdom, where you take knowledge and act on it. So the first half of the book of Ephesians, Paul says, you heard the gospel. You got some knowledge. Oh, you, just, you know about Jesus. Good, good for you. You know Jesus died for you. Excellent. Okay, now let's get some understanding about this. Here's what happened when Jesus died for you. This old kingdom we've been living in, it got invaded. People are like, what? I don't understand. Yeah, the, old, the new kingdom is invading. And what happened when God did that? He brought heaven to earth. And it's being formed among you. And you were no longer darkness, but now you were light. You were this, now you were that. And it's changing us together as the people of God. This is the understanding. And now he wants us to move from understanding to wisdom. Get out of the way. 
Live differently. Act on what you know. We like to think we're wise, right, in this culture. We like to think we always know what to do. We talk to people who we think are wise. But wisdom comes often through the school of hard knocks, right? We weren't wise. Then the tree fell on us, and suddenly we wised up to the fact that trees are heavy and hard and can fall on us. Paul is saying, no, we want to live wisely, not just learn from the school of hard knocks, but begin to move into something new. Now, that was an interesting thing to talk about, but what are we supposed to be wise about? And i got to find myself in my notes. I'm way out of here. Here we go. So Paul wants to apply wisdom to time. Where do you think time fits in these two categories? Somebody. There's no wrong answer. Well, there's maybe a wrong answer. I'm not trying to, like, trick you. This is not a trick question. I don't want you to feel like, I hate it when pastor asks those kind of questions, and I'm going to look stupid if I don't know the answer. Don't worry about it. I just want to hear, what do you think? Where would you put time? You'd put time in the old. Anybody else have different ideas? You guys generally think time would be in the old? Well, because when I think about time, I think it never feels like I have enough of it, right? feels like some weeks are more old than new. Man, I'm getting stuff all over myself. Here we go. So Paul actually does put time in the old scheme of things. Because over here, these things are meant to be eternal, right? We were made for eternity. You guys get that? When Adam and Eve, this is something we talked about as a staff and council this weekend. We were talking about uh, churches that heal, which is something we'll be hearing more about in the, in the future. But the, uh, Henry Cloud, the doctor Henry Cloud is teaching, it says, we were never designed to live in this old kingdom. And we weren't designed for time. We were designed for eternity. And that's why there's always this gap between what we experience and what we feel like we should get, Right? So you get in your 40s and you feel like, I should just be able to keep running that 20 miles and my body shouldn't hurt. But guess what? Your knees start hurting, right? You feel like my marriage shouldn't have rough patches, but guess what? We're human beings and we fail. So we experience in time all of this stuff. We were never made for time. But Paul says, look, you're an eternal being, but right now you are living in time. So here's what I want you to do with time. Be wise about it. I want you to take your wisdom, all the stuff you know about the gospel, your understanding, and live in time differently. And what you're going to do when you do that is that this is amazing. He says you're going to liberate it. When Paul says, make the most of the time, I need to, my Bible won't stay open. I got a new Bible recently, and it won't stay open, so I've got it in my notes, but I need to look right at the passage. He says this, be careful then how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise making the most of the time, because the days are evil. So there we go. Days are evil. Time is evil. But what does he mean by making the most of it? What do you think Paul means by that? When I hear making the most of my time, the first thing that comes to my mind is time management. That's the first thing that comes to my mind. I'm thinking, all right, I'll get my day runner, and I'll make sure I put my stuff in there so I'm not missing my appointments, and I'm being responsible with my days, and I'm getting my work done, and I'm spending time with That's what I'm thinking. Anybody else have any other ideas? Just want to shout them out. What do you think? Time with the Lord, okay. Quiet time, that's good. That, that comes to mind when we think making the most of our time. Time on earth, we have... We have a, a, I have a friend who loves the quote that live your dash, right? If you look at a gravestone, it says 1932 to you know, 2020, whatever, and it's just the dash in between. You know, just live your dash, time on earth. 
Anybody else? What what do you what would you think? What comes to mind? Time for praying for others, Jeff. Making the most of opportunities. Uh, seize the day, right? That's kind of what you're saying. Seize the day. Seize the day. Making the moment, making the most of every moment. Like YOLO. You guys are like all the young people are like, oh yeah, YOLO. You only live once, so let's make the most of it. These are all really good ideas, and they're good things, but they're not actually what Paul has in mind. So when Paul says make the most of, he uses this crazy Greek word, ex agorazo. Ex agorazo. You guys want to say it? Because it's so fun to say. Ex agorazo, right? But it's all one word, ex agorazo. And what it, what it means is literally in the middle of that word is agora. And the agora in Hebrew, or sorry, not Hebrew, in Greek society is like the grocery store. You go down to the grocery store to pick up what you need, but in their society, it's in the city square, the city center. So you would go down, and there would be meat markets, and there would be vegetable stalls, and there would be people selling trinkets. And down on the corner, there would be the slave market. And so if you needed anything, you go to the agora. And you go down there, and you buy what you want. And you can imagine. You could go down, and it's like, oh, i got to get the groceries for today. So they didn't have a refrigerator. So you go, and you buy a little bit of meat. You get a little bit of vegetables. You shop the nice things. You buy a new T-shirt. You know, it says, I visited the agora. And you're all excited about it. And then you go to the end, and like, oh, I need two more slaves to make sure they can make dinner for me tonight. And you buy these two slaves, and you take them home. Now, they would use the word ex agorazo to describe somebody who went down to the agora, who bought their stuff, bought their two slaves, brought them home, and then wrote an emancipation certificate for them. It said, now you're free. They have been taken out of the agora, taken out of slavery, and set free. And that is what Paul says about time. Live wisely. I want you to go down to the market, and I want you to take time, which is slave over here in the old world. The days are evil, and liberate it and set it free. It's such an interesting paradigm because didn't, I mean, Jesus was the one that did all that, right? Jesus is the one that brought heaven to earth. Jesus is the one that took death and turned it into life. Jesus is the one that takes our darkness and turns it into light. And now Paul is saying, guess what? You get to join in too. You get to participate in that thing, and you get to go and liberate time. You get to set it free. Paul is literally saying, liberate time. Take it out of old creation and bring it into new creation. This is what it means to live wisely. As the new humans, y'all are here to bring time into heaven and to liberate it. So what does that even mean? You have some time on your hands, right? You may not feel like it. Some of us have more time and some of us have less time. Janice once very wisely reminded me that everybody gets 24 hours in a day. No more, no less, right? Except for like leap year where we get, la- or get an extra day and except for spring forward and fall back where we lose an hour or gain an hour. But universally, it's all the same. We don't get the same number of days necessarily and we don't know where it's going to end, but we all get 24 hours in a day. And we are being called to take time and liberate it and set it free. So the question in your 24 hours in a day, is that time that you have in a state of captivity or in a state of freedom? Are the things you're doing allowing your time to be captive to the old kingdom or is it brought into the new kingdom 
Get that. Time can be captive to old creation. Isn't that crazy? Time can be captive to old creation, but you can make it captive to the new creation. It's interesting. We who were liberated by God are now liberating and having influence over how time is lived out. And you have a choice with how you use that time to how it is going to be influenced. Will it be influenced by the kingdom or will it be influenced by darkness? You're always being influenced by something, right? These things are always happening, good and the bad, are always happening. We are always being, being influenced and our time, no less so. So Paul says, live wisely, influence the time you have, liberate it, set it free, live with it in new kingdom ways. There is no neutral state for Paul. In this setting, there is no neutral state. He's like, it's either good or it's bad. Your time is captive to new creation or it's captive to old creation. As I thought about it, I thought, but some days... My time is definitely captive to new creation. Some days, it's captive to old creation. And the thing is not to take all of it all the time, but it's to learn to live into it. And that's the invitation to enter into time and liberate it. What does it feel like when time is captive to old creation? We spend our time thinking about past mistakes and failures. We feel guilt, right? We spend our time turning our thoughts to past traumas and hurts. So bitterness, anger, anxiety, fear comes up. We spend our time planning out for a negative future, right? We're worried that the stock market's going to crash, and then the zombie apocalypse is going to come. If the stock market crashes, we're going to have our we're going to have our safety, our, our nest egg in our you know our bed or wherever. We're going to stuff the mattress full of gold coins. Um, if the zombie apocalypse comes, we're going to go hang out with Jamie Hawes because he can throw knives, right? That's how we, we, we think about that horrible future, and we kind of plan for it. We spend time, this is another way, we spend time pursuing things that numb our pain, right? So we're looking for the next fun thing to fulfill that sense of something. We're, 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 we're drinking too much. We're vacationing too much. We're spending our time partying or whatever we do to numb that pain, whether it's drugs or alcohol, marijuana, these things in and of themselves are not evil, but when we use them to numb ourselves, which is universally done, especially with things like drugs, we're living in the old creation time. We're living in old creation time when we're isolated from other people, when we're alone, when we're hiding in fear. These are, this is what it's like. That's old creation time. We could go on and on and on. Because if it doesn't bring goodness, beauty, truth, if the fruit of it isn't love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control in you, the fruit that is meant to be produced in the kingdom of God, your time is captive to darkness. So Paul says, be wise. Do something about the time that you have. Liberate it. Now we're going to take a next step. Let's clarify a little more what he means. He next pair is foolish and discerning, right? He says, don't be foolish, but discern the will of God. When we read, when we read that, many of us, and I, I automatically, just like, well, the question is, what is the will of God, right? That's what it means to discern. Discern what is the will of God. Well, what is the will of God? 
That's always one of those freaky questions that we're asking ourselves. God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do with my life? What am I supposed to do with today? And we like, get all wound up, and then many people just got to get stuck. Like, well, I don't want to go and do that because I'm not sure that's the will of God. And I don't want to do this because I'm not sure that's the will of God, but it might be the will of God. So maybe I'll get one foot over there and one foot over here, and we get all bound up, and I'm going to miss my call, and I'm miss the perfect spouse, and I'm I'm sorry, that's not what he's talking about. He doesn't want us to get wound up about this. He says, just discern, seek to discern what the will of God is. And Paul actually gives us a few ideas throughout his other text, 1 Thessalonians. He says this, sexual purity and integrity, always the will of God, right? Easy peasy. Well, it's not necessarily easy peasy to always be sexually pure and always have integrity, but you know that when you do, you were always living in the will of God. Write that down. You're going to want that because, well, you know, you're not confused by it, right? Uh, in, in Thessalonians, he also says this, give thanks. Just always give thanks. Whenever you're giving thanks, whether it's to somebody else, thank you for the gift. Thank you for making me dinner. Or you're thanking God. God, thank you for making me. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the things that you bring into my life. Thank you for the challenges I face because I'm going to grow in them. When you're thanking God, you are always, always, always living in the will of God. Pretty easy, isn't it? It's like simple. It's not, not easy, but it's simple. And then here is the third time he uses it. And what he's really saying is don't be stupid, right? So you always know you're in the will of God when you're giving thanks. You always know when you're in the will of God when you're living in integrity. And you always know you're living in the, God, the will of God when you're not being stupid. If you are in tune with what, what God wants in your life, then it's going to bring about new creation life in your time. It's going to bring about new creation results with your time. It's going to redeem the time. And being aware of what God is up to and how I can work with that means that I get invited into that work of God redeeming old creation. He's not just destroying it, but he's buying it and restoring it and setting it free. And that's what we get to do with our time. And then the third pair that he gives us, so we've got wise and foolish or wise and unwise, foolish and discerning, right? Foolish, I don't care what God thinks. Discerning, I'm actually, you know, interested in what God has to think, and I'm going to try to live that way. And the last one is filled with the Spirit, right? It's either drunkenness or filled with the Spirit. This is such a great place to get all judgy, right? I grew up in a culture where it was just wrong to drink at all. And then I've been in churches where the, what was said from the stage is, it's wrong to drink at all, ever. And then you meet the people in the church, and they're all like, yeah, we, we have a beer occasionally or a glass of wine. We just don't tell the pastor, right? That's hiding. That's not healthy either. Paul isn't saying never, never drink. Because in the later things, he tells Timothy, in the book of Timothy, he says, hey, take, take some wine for your stomach. You got an upset stomach, take some wine for that. I, I don't know if that works. Last time I had an upset stomach, I don't know. I didn't try it. But Paul is not saying don't ever drink. He's not saying drinking is bad, but he is saying drinking to excess to numb yourself and be filled with wine so that you are drunk. He actually uses the word debauchery in this text. He says that's debauchery. Doesn't it sound judgy when you say debauchery? Well, it just really does. And what he's saying is it's out of control, right? You love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. You were meant to be in control. Not controlling. Meant to be in control. The one thing you can control is the self. 
And that is a fruit of the Spirit. When you take control of those things, you are redeeming your time. And Paul is saying, don't be drunk. Don't be out of control with alcohol. Don't be out of control with partying. Don't be pursuing that feeling you get, I feel like I'm a better person when I'm just a little bit buzzed, and I can be the life of the party like I want to be. He's he's saying, no, that's out of control. Be yourself. Be your God-intended self. Be free. Redeem the time. Be filled with the Spirit instead of with alcohol. It's fine to go get a drink. If you're 21 and you're not, don't struggle with alcohol to go get a drink with friends. In fact, it can be some of the most healing times. Some of the most healing times is you encourage one another and you sit around a table and you share a good drink. But don't be out of control. Don't be using it to get something that God hasn't intended for you. Submit yourself to the influence of the Holy Spirit instead of the influence of substances. And then you will be filled up with the life of a new creation. So the question there is, what are you being filled up with right now? So the antidote to living foolishly, living unwisely, the antidote to all of this. Remember last week we said, look, the antidote to impurity, the antidote to greed was thankfulness. All those things that you see that you don't have, the women you don't have, the men you don't have, the the sexual fulfillment that you don't feel like you have, the money you don't have, the house you don't have, the antidote to that is thankfulness. I'm going to be thankful for what I do have. Be thankful for my spouse. Be thankful for my family. Be thankful for my my, uh, job. Be thankful for my friends. It changes your perspective on those things, and it brings integrity. His antidote today is You've been living unwisely, and you've been living in darkness and death and destruction. Redeem the time by doing something that everybody else considers a complete waste of time. Worship. Worship. Go be amongst the people of God and worship together. This is his antidote. This is the redemption of time is when it becomes like heaven. In heaven... God's praise is going to ring from every day, every night, 24 hours, all the way through. And it sounds really boring. You're like, I'm not going to sing 24 hours a day, these worship songs. It's going to be new and fresh. And it's not necessarily, you're going to be singing them all the time. Some of you will be listening. I don't know what heaven's going to be like in this regard. But I do know that God will be praised always. And that is the invitation for us, is to redeem the time and that God would be praised always here and now. That's the antidote to wasting our time or losing our time to this old kingdom. Paul says this, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to who? To one another. Now that's kind of weird, isn't it? I'm not, we come to church and we're like, I like it when it's a little dark and I can be kind of by myself and sing quietly over here to God. That's not what Paul's vision of church is. Paul's vision of churches is you're sitting next to somebody and you look over and you're like, I'm sorry, I'm out of tune, but God is so good. God is so good. God is so good. He's been good to me. I love him so. I love him so. I love him so. He's so good to me. That's a child song from when I was little. Janice is beaming. She's like, I love that song. I sang that in kindergarten, right? We learn these when we're so small, and it's truth, and we speak them to one another. Because when I say to to Luke, 
Luke, I'm sorry, but God has been so good to me. Luke's like, yeah, he's been good to me too. And you know what he responds to me? He's like, you know what, this week, Jamie, he answered prayer. He answered prayer. He answered prayer. He's been good to me. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another. Not just to God. Look, everybody here who can't carry a tune in the bucket, I'm sorry that God didn't give you the gift of a voice that can carry a tune. But he gave you the gift of a voice, and it's meant to be used. Sing your praises out loud. Encourage one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The world says that's a waste of time. You don't need to go to church today. You, there's, I've, got, I've got this whole list of projects that I should be doing for school and you know, and the lawn needs to be mowed, and it's the last couple of sunny days of summer, and, and I think all of these things that my time over here tells me I need to do. Paul says, redeem it. Take that time, set it aside, encourage one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. He says, write them, right? He says to write psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And they're like, I'm not a writer. I'm not a worship songwriter. That's okay. I was made aware recently that there's a, there's a woman who's in the service now. I can't mention her because it wouldn't be nice to her. But who at the end of uh, retreats and events and things like that will often write a poem about what God did in that, that time. That's a psalm, a hymn, a spiritual song. And then it's, it's read and en- you encourage everybody. This is what we're called to do. We redeem the time by singing and worshiping. And he says, worship together. Y'all get together, sing to each other about God, and then sing to God about his goodness and give thanks. So the closing of this message is that question of, okay, so you've got time. It's over here, and it's evil. What have you done with it? How have you viewed it? Has this time been yours to fill up yourself and your own pleasures and desires and wants and getting your things done and the projects and all that stuff, which really just leads to death and darkness? Or is it bringing goodness and beauty to the earth? Is it encouraging the people of God? Are you using it to worship the Lord as you were designed to do? This is the invitation of Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 20. Five verses radically transform how we think about our days and our nights and our weekends and especially what happens right here. I wanted to give you a moment, and we're going to take a, like a, a full minute because I'm going to give the worship team a chance to come up because we're going to do two things. One, I'm going to give you a minute just to think about what, what is the nature of my time? Is it new kingdom? Is it old kingdom? What parts are more old kingdom? What parts are new kingdom? God wants to invite you to liberate the time and set it free. And then we're going to worship. We're going to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to one another and to the Lord and to encourage each other. So worship team, would you come up? Everybody else, maybe just keep your journal out. Write for a second. Think about that. What is the nature of your time? What is God inviting you to do with it? And then we'll come back and worship in just a moment.
Let's stand together. singing it to one another to our souls come on oh come on my soul don't you get shy on me lift up your song because you've got a lion inside of those lungs get up and praise the lord hey come on my soul don't you get shy on me lift up your song Cause you've got a lion inside of those lungs 
all anxiety let it rise let praise arise we sing your name in the dark and it changes everything we sing with all we are and we claim your victory let it rise let praise arise. Come on, we'll see. We'll see you break down every wall. We'll watch the giants fall. Fear cannot survive when we praise you. The God of breakthroughs on our side. Forever lift him high. With all creation cry, God, we praise you. Oh, we praise you. Oh, let praise. Let praise be the weapon that silences the enemy. Let praise be the weapon that conquers all anxiety. Sing it out, let it, let it rise. Let praise arise. We sing, 
We sing your name in the dark and it changes everything. We claim that all we are and we claim your victory. Let it rise. Let praise arise. We'll see you break down every wall. We'll watch the giants fall. Fear cannot survive when we praise you. The God of breakthroughs on our side. Forever lift him high. With all creation cry, God, we praise you. Oh, we praise you. Oh, let faith. Let faith be the song that overcomes the raging sea. Let faith be the song that calms the storm inside of me. Let it rise. Let faith arise. Let it rise. We'll see you break down every wall. We'll watch the giants fall. Fear cannot survive when we praise you. The God of breakthroughs on our side forever lifts him high. With all creation cry, God, we praise you. Let's sing. This is what heaven looks like. This is what freedom feels like. This is what heaven looks like. This is what freedom feels like. This is what heaven sounds like. We praise you. We praise you. This is what living looks like. This is what freedom feels like. This is what heaven sounds like. We praise you. We praise you. This is what living looks like. This is what freedom feels like. This is what heaven sounds like. We praise you. We praise you. We'll see you break down every wall. We'll watch the giants fall. Fear cannot survive when we praise you. The God of breakthroughs on our side. Forever lift him high. With all creation cry, God, we praise you. We'll see you break down every wall. We'll watch the giants fall. Fear cannot survive when we praise you. The God of breakthroughs on our side. Forever lift him high. With all creation cry, God, we praise you. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Let's sing this one more time to one another and to the Lord, to just our voices. Praise God. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. 
Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. So be free to go in the grace of the Lord, to liberate the time, to walk in that freedom, and to allow that time to be used for God's kingdom to bring goodness and beauty and love. In Jesus' name, if you heard nothing else, Jesus loves you. That's why he's liberating you and the time to set you free. And we love you too, and we will see you next week. There's Italian sodas in the back to hang out. Encourage one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Tell each other what God's doing in your life. Liberate the time. Amen.